Welcome, everyone, to episode six of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast, a.k.a. As you can tell, we are big Von Grissom fans here in the state of Georgia. Let's go, Von. If you're living, breathing, and and you're a baseball fan, and you're not a Von Grissom fan, you might want to check your pulse, all right? Because we were, as Braves fans, we needed to acclimate ourselves to bringing another guy up. And you can't expect lightning to strike every single time we bring a guy into the bigs. But, Lord, did it strike again? I mean, forget everything I said. I'm not tempering my expectations. I'm not limiting my beliefs. Von Grissom is the greatest second baseman in Braves history. I I, I mean, the evidence is there. 500 career batting average. Uh, he's on pace for a 162 home He's on pace for a 160-160 season, 162 home runs, 162 stolen bases. Uh, you know, we'll get a little bit more talk to that. I'll let you continue with the introduction. And uh, by the way, the stash and the jersey look fantastic, Kenny. I just picked this one up, ordered it. It came in, overnight shipped. Um, so shout out to my supplier. I appreciate that. Was it from um, Beijing or Shanghai? Uh, both. Uh, no, if no. you combine, <laughs> it was from uh, uh, Bang, Bang Chow. Bang Chow, from. Nice. Yeah, I've also got a Stequavius jersey on the way, too. So when they get here, I'll be rocking and rolling. Um, But like we said, man, all jokes aside, welcome to Episode 6. We're excited to be out here for another episode. Um, We've got some more Braves talk for you. I know the last episode was a little bit shorter as far as baseball goes because there wasn't that much to talk about. But hey, look, the boys have been playing good ball lately, so that gives us a a good high note to head into the next series with. Um, I know Jake has a lot of Braves notes, and we're excited to bring you some more content as far as that concerned. Uh, before we dive into it, man, I want to say check us out on all the socials. Uh, shameless plug, in the if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see the graphic right here to my right, your left. Um, that is the Twitter at Peach State Pod. Check us out. Give us a follow. We're posting some fire content on there. We're going to try to keep that thing updated for you. And, let you guys know any breaking news or anything that goes on. Check us out on TikTok as well. I know we post some shorts on there, some videos on there for you guys to check out. Um, we'll try to keep that updated as well. Um, if you're watching on the YouTube, thank you so much. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to check us out on YouTube. If you didn't know, we do post all of our episodes on there as well as our live streams. You can look at us. You can uh, see the amazing, very expensive, custom-designed Von Grissom jersey that I am wearing right now. Um, so without further ado, let's get into it. And, uh, Jake, I'll let you take the floor. Oh, it's my time to shine. Let's get her started. Okay. So Tuesday, the first game after the Braves, uh, had me feeling like the most sad person on the planet earth after that, uh, after we lost four on a five to the Mets over the weekend. Um, it was a, it was a much needed off day on Monday. That off day was uh, really, really important for us. We really needed that after how we played. And it, it, seemed, it seemed like it was a good thing for the Braves. Tuesday night, the Atlanta Braves beat the Boston Red Sox 9-7. to um, It was honestly one of the funnest baseball games I've watched this season, I will say. I had a great time watching that game. It was an amazing game. Like I, I know as homers and as fans, you would love to see your team blow out teams 25 to nothing every single night. But... Obviously, seeing a good game every once in a while is always fun. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was fun all the way around. Uh, I wanted to start off by saying that uh, Acuna, Riley, and Swanson combined for an 8-for-7 team with five runs and six RBIs in the game, including, uh, I think, Riley had 
a bomb, a triple in the first and a bomb in the third. And he, he seemed like he had a legitimate shot at the cycle because he had the two hardest parts of the cycle. Um, a little pre-context, he did not get there. He he was a double shy. Uh, the single was easily the biggest hit of the night, though. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, Riley, uh, like I just mentioned, he continues to mash, man. He Riley has been amazing. And if he's not your one or two in the MVP race right now, I don't know what you're seeing. Uh, I know Paul Goldschmidt oh. is having an insane season with like a one a thousand eighty four OPS or something stupid, but. Man, Austin Riley, what he's been able to do this year, continuing off of his success last year, he has turned himself into a top five hitter in the National League over the last two complete seasons. There's no doubt. It's the best third baseman in the league right now, no question. Um, Charlie Morton. I wanted to mention Charlie Morton because it seems like every time the Braves offense scores runs, Charlie Morton gives up runs. Every time the Braves offense doesn't score runs, Charlie Morton goes seven innings and gives up one run and loses the game. Um, Charlie Morton with the run support, he gave up, he had pitched six innings. He gave up six hits, five runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. And that's off, uh, the Red Sox hit three home runs off of him. So they kind of had him, uh, teed up from the get go. Uh, Chuck, yeah, I don't ahead. know what it is with Chuck Nasty. Um, I love Charlie and he started off the year a little slow and you started to see him get back to his old self and he kind of regressed to the mean, I guess you could say, um, and obviously, he's a veteran guy. He's He's been around, and, and he's got a lot of experience. And bringing him into the rotation was a big uh, uh, advantage, I would say, for us as far as just experience goes because we're such a young team, um, specifically in the starting rotation. So when you see a guy like him come in and get run support and also give up runs, it's a little perplexing because it's like, come on, dude. Like, we're coming out of a series versus the Mets where we – can't hit a beach ball with a tennis racket and now we're giving you some good offensive play and you're just getting shelled so i hope he figures it out i think he will i mean he's he's like i just said he's a veteran guy so i've got you know optimism for him but still looking at the rotation charlie morton is the number four guy right now so he's still a really really good fourth option yeah, you give majority of the teams in baseball an option to have Charlie Morton as their fourth starter, and they are going to jump on that all day long. And it's kind of weird because last year, Charlie Morton, obviously, we all know he started off the season really, really slow, and there was people talking. But then down the stretch, Charlie Morton was awesome. And we had flashes this year of him coming back to his normal self, but it seems like he he just he has these hiccups, and it's something that he hasn't quite been able to get around yet. I'm, I'm Like you said, I'm still confident in Charlie. Charlie's a guy that, you know, if you go into a – if he's a guy you have to pitch in the game seven of a playoff uh, of a playoff uh, series, then you are very, very confident in that game. Like he's he's that type of guy. He's an amazing postseason pitcher. So he's always a guy you'd love have to have on your team. And you know, even with his with his rough outing, we're still looking forward to seeing Charlie start games every fifth day. And you know, he's going to turn it around. I'm confident in that. Yeah, I agree, a hundred percent. So um, I mentioned earlier in the eleventh inning, uh, Austin Riley's. Biggest hit I had talked about earlier. Austin Riley drove in uh, Michael Harris and Ronald Acuna on an 11th inning single, I believe. And Acuna slide. That That's... That, I, I don't know how to put it in words, but Acuna... Everybody talks about Trey Turner's little slick slides where there's not even a contested throw at the plate. Acuna might have had one of the best slides I've ever seen in a Major League Baseball game. And uh, I, I'm beautiful. not... I'm not going to steal your shine because you're the one that pointed it out to me, but I'm, I'm going to let you talk about uh, the whole Michael Harris aspect of the slide. Well, I just heard, is it Franco, the translator? 
Yeah, Franco. Yeah, so Franco came out, obviously, at the end of the game because they wanted to interview Ronald, and he translates for the guys. Uh, Franco came out, and they asked Ronald what he was looking at because if you watch Ronald as he rounds third base, his eyes were locked, like, past the plate, it looked like, and it was like you could see Michael Harris telling him to get down. But it was pretty interesting because Ronald said he was just watching Michael, and Michael was literally showing him what to do, and they showed the replay. Because if you watched Ronald, he rounds third, comes directly up the baseline, swings it wide, coming into home plate and then all of a sudden just like dips dives to the left hand side slides through the inside of the plate sticks his right hand out completely avoids the tag and just grazes the inner corner of the plate and it was beautiful and the entire time you see michael harris is pointing at ronald so he's pointing straight at him he points outside the baseline and then he's showing he's saying get down and points to the inside of the baseline so ronald literally had a cheat code he just went up came down, slid, got the inner half of the plate, and was safe, and it was beautiful. And, I mean, you're talking about a young guy like Michael Harris has the whereabouts and the wits about him to look at Ronald Acuna, who is one of the best players in the MLB, and show him exactly where to go. And with Ronald's speed and athleticism, man, it was beautiful. It was awesome to see. And shout-out to Ronald, too, because I feel like he gets a lot of negative a, a negative talks about him as not being a team player and being a selfish guy because you see him showboat all the time. But to be able to look at your teammate and do exactly as he says because he's obviously watching the play unfold defensively and tells you where to go and you follow him exactly and it's beautiful. And Michael Harris, obviously, is an amazing base runner as well. So those two guys were just a deadly one-two punch. But that was awesome. Yeah, it was it was amazing. It almost seemed like Acuna was sliding into home plate sideways, and he had his right arm extended as far as he can go, and he just caught the corner of the plate. It was, I guess, like I had mentioned earlier, it was probably one of the best slides I've ever seen in a baseball game. And uh, talking about Michael Harris and you know how he is, how he like shows himself on the field, I'm also going to bring Spencer Strider in this conversation. Um, I feel like Alex Anthopoulos kind of knows his guys, and uh. You know, we have we have a good I think Dana Brown is the uh, Braves new like scouting director. And it seems like the Braves kind of know their type of guy they're trying to go after. Um, And it's it's kind of like guys that get to the major leagues at 21, 22, 23. And when they get here, they're already comfortable major league players day one. Like you see Michael Harris's approach his approach at the plate. Obviously, in the outfield, he's an insane outfielder. It, it just seems like if you were to watch him play, you'd think this guy's a 10-year vet. And the same thing with Spencer Strider, even more so, I would say. You watch Spencer Strider on the mound, this dude might be the most locked-in pitcher on the Atlanta Braves, and he's a rookie in the Major League Baseball. Like, he never shows emotion. He's six innings deep in a game, and his, he's still straight-faced out there throwing 100 miles per hour. Not one drip of sweat coming off of him. This guy is just like, Spencer Strider is like a robot on the mound. And every time he strikes a mile, he does that little turnaround walk away, and it's just always has the same type of emotion on his face, which is nothing. Just straight concentration. Absolute dog. Um, I do want to mention, though, I believe in the 10th inning, uh, Orlando Arcia had drove in a run, and it seemed like it was going to be a double, but as he rounded the first base, as he rounded first base, uh, on whenever I was watching it live, it caught me off guard because he didn't slide into second. If he was slid, it seemed like he had been safe easily. And I was like, what the hell, Orlando? I saw he was hurt. He was he was grabbing his leg and watching the replay. It actually happened about midway between first and second. He kind of held up a little bit and, you know, props to Orlando for still, you know, making it semi competitive and trying to get the foot on the base. But uh, Orlando Arcia is now he strained his hamstring, his left hamstring. He strained it. And, uh, you know, it really, really sucks to see him go down because he's he's been giving the Braves really, really good ball lately. 
Yes, man. And, you know, obviously we're about to get into it with Vaughn Grissom, but a guy like Orlando Arcia, who we talked about in the last podcast, and I think in multiple podcasts now, he's just a guy that you – there was a lot of attention at the Braves, really at the trade deadline. And specifically when Ozzy Albies went out with the injury, people thought we were going to try and get, get after like a top-tier second baseman or just middle infielder in general for somebody to come in and fill in for Ozzy. And we never did. And it seemed like we were always comfortable with having Arcia there. And you saw it game in, game out, even with a little bit of a cold stretch there at the beginning or at the end of uh, June. He uh, he played really solid ball for us, offensively, defensively. Um, he hits nukes. He plays great defense. He's got a cannon. Uh, this guy is um, just about as good of a bench bat as you can get. So you put him in the starting rotation, and he gives you some positive play. Like, that's – it's you. It's not common to have a guy like that on the team that you can just plug and play, and he's going to give you top-tier baseball. So to see him go down is super, super unfortunate. I'm happy to see that it's not anything too serious. It looks like it's a, a strain, and hopefully he'll get back pretty soon. But um, with Ozzy returning, hopefully in the near future, and Vaughn Grissom coming up and looking like a MVP candidate, yeah. like I don't, I don't know what to say, man. It's like we can't, we can't miss right now when it comes to just throwing guys in the lineup. Everyone we throw in sticks. Yeah, and I, I want to give props to, uh, and I can't say it's Kevin Seitzer because obviously I don't think Kevin Seitzer would have had like too much work to do with Vaughn uh, first day. But it seems like Kevin Seitzer, the hitting coach for the Braves, is just a, a lock for if you bring in some random journeyman guy, they're probably going to come in here and their numbers are probably going to go up. It seems like everybody the Braves bring in, yeah. they just instantly become better players. Uh, and even guys like Robbie Grossman, like we've already seen the impact right in limited playing time, it seems like Robbie Grossman hits a double every at bat. <laughs> I check, I check the, I check the box. I'm like, oh, Robbie Grossman pinch hit for Guillermo Heredi in the eighth inning. Oh, he got a double, nice. And it's just, it's, it's cool to see how Seitzer handles the guys. Obviously, the Braves coaching staff has to be up there in baseball, like top tier. I would probably say the best with Washington, uh, Eric Young Senior, Kevin Seitzer. Obviously, we got Snit, Walt Weiss on the bench, like. Even guys like Eddie Perez out there in the bullpen, like you have so many great coaches on that staff that can help these kids get up here. And I feel like that plays such like an instrumental part in getting these guys where they need to be. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about it all the time about people saying that the farm system is depleted, and it is, but for good reason. These guys come up and turn into big league players. So, I mean, I, I said it earlier when we opened the podcast that it seems like lightning can't just keep striking for the Braves, but it is. And it just goes to show that the, we may not have the number of guys throughout the farm system that we used to or that other teams may have, but the guys that we do have are just top-tier prospects. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, like, it's guys that, you, like, you wouldn't even think of. Like, you look at you, and, and I know he had a, he had a, he got roughed up a little bit in the, in the game that we're about to talk about, but you look at a guy like Dylan Lee. I mean, even him, Dylan Lee seemed like he came out of nowhere last year, jumped on the scene. He made that start in the World Series, and, he got hit around a little bit, and now all of a sudden, Dylan Lee is a, a very, very like instrumental part of this bullpen. So, you know, the Braves are just very, very good at finding talent, and that's, you know, credit to all over the organization. And, you know, it, it's awesome to see. All right, how about, how about we jump into uh, Wednesday? So, uh, before the game on Wednesday, obviously, uh, Orlando went down with the left hamstring strain, so he got put on the 10-day IL. In results of that... Uh, Von Grissom got called up from Mississippi. I believe Von Grissom had 20-something games played in Mississippi above above uh, advanced A-ball. So <laughs> it, it, was, it seemed like a very, very aggressive 
uh, move at that point. And I saw over Twitter that people were kind of like giving hints at it, like, oh, yeah, maybe it's Grissom time. I also saw the Andrews and Simmons talk that people were talking about bringing Simmons in to play uh, second base because he just got DFA'd from the Cubs like last week. But I mean, it, I'm happy the Braves made the move they did. Like trying to talk talk about it from like a pregame standpoint. This is one of those situations where upside wise, you're gonna you're better than any of the option out there. And honestly, Absolutely. I we're we're talking about bringing in guys that hit 230. So even Von Grissom's floor is probably the same as what you're gonna get from Andrew Simmons. Like I I don't I don't see Von Grissom's a guy that has never hit below 300 in professional baseball. I don't see him as being a guy that's instantly gonna drop to a 220 guy in the major leagues. I I, I always thought the average was there. And uh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to get into it too much. We have a lot. We have we have a good bit of Von Grissom talk. I'm, I'm also going to give myself a little bit of props because uh, I know it wasn't podcast based, but I know uh, Kenny can vouch for me. I, I've been a I've been a big Vaughn guy, and we had some conversations before the trade deadline about some Vaughn stuff. And you know, I'm ha- I'm happy my thoughts didn't come through. But uh, Adam Duvall got moved to the sixty day uh sixty day IL. Uh, that was to open up a forty man spot, and we DFA'd Mike Ford. So. I believe it was Kirby Yates and Vaughn Grissom that had taken those two roster spots that we created. That's what makes the most sense. Uh, Kirby Yates got recalled from his rehab assignment. He was pitching really, really good ball in Gwinnett, and it was about that time. Um, so the Braves had had a couple roster moves before Wednesday's game. Is there anything you want to add to that, Kenny? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy to see Kirby back. I'm super happy and excited to see him in the bullpen. So, um. Uh, this is a guy we've been waiting on all year. And like you said with the Vaughn Grissom, I'll give you props. You were on him before anybody else. So props to you. It seems like, you know, Jake, for those of you guys that, that are watching and listening, Jake is a um, a stat wizard when it comes to Braves baseball, particularly in the farm system, where Jake, it seems like in my circle, is always like the first guy that knows about these guys before anybody else. So I'm going to give you props, Jake. Um, you deserve it. So Props to you for being on Grissom. A lot of research. And, uh, you know, there, there's some stats out there that just aren't fake. Like, obviously, if a guy's down in double-A hitting 40 home runs, that's awesome and all. But if he has a 37% strikeout strikeout rate in double-A, this guy might come up and hit 150 in the major league level. So, a guy like Vaughn, who has never struck out much in major, in minor league ball, um, and he puts the ball in play a ton. He hits for a good average. The power is there. Everybody knows he has... Uh, raw untapped power kind of like what people were saying with michael harris not so much as much as michael harris though i think michael harris has a little bit more of the five tool aspect to him a little bit more like superstar potential but um von grissom has all the tools you need like if von grissom at 21 years old still room to grow he can he can honestly turn into another five tool player absolutely and von grissom it's funny too because I guess are we gonna go ahead and dive into a little Vaughn talk? Uh, let's 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 do this. Should we let's let's do the Braves game first? Let's go ahead and get the Braves game out of the way so we can talk about what he did, and then we get into some Vaughn Grissom talk. Okay, so uh, on Wednesday the Braves uh, I I didn't put down the final score. I feel stupid. <laughs> eight to four. What is it? Eight to four. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Braves beat the Red Sox eight to four. Um, let's go ahead and get into the Vaughn Grissom stuff like from the game. Grissom became the young, the first player in Braves history to homer and steal a base in his debut and the youngest player to ever do that in Major League history. And I say youngest, but I think there's only three players to ever do it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those funny stats out there. And, it, it, you know, I, this is not an ESPN stat. Like, one of those stats like, oh, Von Grissom hit a home run on a Sunday at 
4:27 p.m. with a butterfly on his nose. Like this is this is actually like a pretty legit stat. Like this is a cool one, a unique one. Uh, so that's a little bit of Vaughn stuff. Um, Kyle Wright, also, Kyle Wright, Kyle. Kyle the, oh yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say one thing. Vaughn is the first Brave to homer in his major league debut since Austin Riley. So, and you he, see Austin Riley now is an MVP candidate and best third baseman in the league right now. So I see no reason to believe why that Vaughn Grissom is not going to be the next. He is in. He's in good company. That that's that's all we can say about that. Uh, Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright looks sharp. Uh, six innings pitch, six hits, one run, one walk, and four strikeouts. Um, it was good to see Kyle back. Obviously, Kyle Wright's a guy that's always going to give you at least six. Um, I wanted to mention that is Kyle Wright's 14th win of the season, which now puts him in sole possession of the NL lead and only one behind Justin Verlander for the major league lead, which is awesome. It seems like every time Kyle Wright pitches, the Braves win the game. And I think it's because Kyle Wright is so good at keeping games competitive, even if he... Even if he goes out there and gives up two or three runs, he'll he'll pitch seven innings and do that. Other than a couple little five or six run outings, I think he had one a start or two ago. But Kyle Wright has been such such you know he's been such a revelation this year. And I've, I've I saw people on social media putting out there, oh Kyle Wright's our pick to click. But I mean everybody's been saying that for like the past three years now, and this year it is happening. Kyle Wright is a legit major league starter, and he is. I don't think he's going anywhere. Just the stuff he offers up, man. Kyle Wright, whenever you see him pitch, it looks like he's throwing 87 different pitches at a batter. It's it's pretty crazy. I think they showed the graphic. There was a curve, a slider, a sinker, a four seam, change up, everything. So, you know, seeing a guy that can go up there and throw all these pitches, kind of like Max. Max is the same way where he offers a whole lot of pitches. It's yeah. always nice because they, like I always say, you can get to the third time in the lineup. And I think that's the reason that Max and Kyle go so deep. You can get to the third time in the lineup and throw a guy a pitch he hasn't even seen yet. Three, three at-bats into the game. And he throws strikes. Everything he throws, he puts in the strike zone. And he limits walks, which is just another thing, a testament to how good this guy is and how young he is. Like you just mentioned, six innings pitched, six hits, one earned run. He only walked one batter. This dude throws strikes all game long, and he throws whatever he wants. Yeah, and it's it's different than the Kyle Wright we, of old. Uh, Kyle Wright, when he first came up, I'm not going to say he gave me the faulty experience because Mike Fultonevich was an absolute head case on the mound at times. And this is no disrespect to Mike Fulton, which I will always root for him. I know he went through some, you know, personal situations. He had he had some type of mental thing going on, and he openly he openly talked about it, like an anxiety thing. So this is no disrespect to him. He was a really really awesome guy. Anytime I ever met him in Gwinnett and stuff, he was he was the bomb. And he, obviously he was an all star with Atlanta one year, I think, back in like eighteen, which is awesome. Uh, but Kyle Wright has got that down pat now. Like that's not even an issue. That. Like last year or two years ago, Kyle Wright, if he would have walked a batter, it would have turned into a four-run inning because he is out there and now he can't throw strikes. And when he does, it's a slider hanging right down the middle of the plate. So the turnaround Kyle Wright has been able to make, and I honestly think it was that start. It, was, it wasn't it was even a start. It was him coming in for Dylan Lee last year in that World Series and pitching like five-inning shutout ball. And I feel like that was the turnaround Kyle Wright needed. It, it has been awesome to see. Well, it's not like I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm expecting the same exact thing for me and Anderson because obviously Kyle Wright is pitching at an incredible level right now. But it just goes to show with this Braves development and the way the Braves coaching staff can work these players. Kyle Wright comes up, gets shelled a little bit, goes back down to AAA, figures this stuff out, comes back up and turns it to the player that he is. So when you have a guy like Ian Anderson who has been great for a long period of time and seems to kind of lose himself a little bit, and then now he's, you know, he's going to pitch in the doubleheader 
coming up this weekend. But then he's going back down to AAA and going to get a couple starts there. It makes me feel optimistic about his situation because Kyle Wright's already done it. So if Ian Anderson can just come back at a fraction of what Kyle Wright is and take hold of that fifth spot in the rotation, he and he seems like he's in a really good mental state about it. He's got a really good attitude about going back down there. So if he can go down, figure stuff up, figure stuff out before he comes back up, um, that's going to be a game changer for this Braves team headed into August. Oh, I agree for sure. Uh, or September. One, yeah. Uh, one thing that I did see that people were talking about, apparently, I don't know if this is true or not, but people were talking about how Ian Anderson had kind of like tweaked his delivery this offseason. And I feel like one one result it has had is that his uh changeup has not had nearly as much bite on it. He's getting a re- he's having a really hard time to get batters to chase that changeup like he used to. And whenever a batter's not chasing your changeup and all you really feature is a changeup and a fastball, it's not really a good situation for you because they're not really gonna you you don't have you don't have any swing and miss pitches like you can't throw anything at them that they're going to swing and miss at. And I know that near the end of last year, Ian Anderson ran into a little bit of trouble, and his peripherals aren't very good, and they've never been good. But everybody just thought, okay, this is a guy that doesn't strike out many people. He walks a good bit of people. He gives up contact, but somehow he makes it work. And this year seems like the first year that it's it's kind of came back and bit him in the butt. And I'm hoping that he can go down to AAA and figure it out because we love Ian. Ian, again, he seems like an awesome guy. Another guy that I met before, he was great when I met him. Uh, so we're rooting for him. And, you know, just postseason-wise, he has been such a beast for the Braves pitching postseason. Like, I think you look at his stats, he's like a top-five postseason pitcher of all time. So, you know, if we can get that guy right for a postseason run, you know, let's do it. You never, you never like to see a guy like that struggle and get sent back down to the minors to figure stuff out. But if there's a time to do it, it's at this point in the year because baseball is all about who's hot come October. So if we can get this guy rolling coming into September and he can get back up here to the big leagues and, and play some decent ball and take hold of that fifth spot on the rotation, that's going to be huge for us. And that just goes to show um, what we talked about in the trade deadline reaction podcast episode that we did. Um you know, props to the Braves for having the whereabouts to bring a guy in like Jake Odorizzi. I know he didn't have a stellar outing in his first pitching, uh, in, in his first start for the Braves, but to see a guy like Ian Anderson go down and you have a guy like Odorizzi to take that spot and, and get some starts while he's gone, that's huge. Yeah, with this Braves lineup, you just need you just need a guy to go in there and keep you competitive. Honestly, other yeah. other other than unless we're facing Max Scherzer or Jacob DeGrom, it seems like uh because somehow, I mean, I'm not going to say somehow, but, you know, we couldn't touch them. We got to figure that part out first. But, I mean, majority of baseball teams, if you have guys that can, you know, keep you in the game and you have a lineup like the Braves, you know, it gives you a really, really good chance day in, day out. So, a guy like Odorizzi who's going to come out there, he's going to pitch, you know, consistent ball. I mean, I know Astros fans are saying, oh, this guy's trash. But, I mean, a 3-7 ERA, I'll take that all day for a fifth starter. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, fifth guy in the rotation with a sub-4 ERA, that's – uh sign me up and it's funny that we talk about anderson so much and you know this fifth starter spot because even if anderson turns it around i think he's going to be a guy that's going to have a hard time like i know the postseason success is there and you know you never know when injuries can hit uh obviously we'll talk about one a little bit later there was the Braves had another injury come up today um but at this point right now i don't know if the braves like you don't start five games, five guys in a playoff series. Any given playoff series, you don't start five guys. And 
who do you take out? Like, obviously, I, I would think that in a three-game series, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Charlie. In a three-game series, we're, we're running out Freed. I would probably go Strider two, and I would let Wright go three. And that's just because I want I want to get – I don't want to put Strider in a big-game situation. Yeah, that's not even a conversation for me. I agree with you. Um, Back to the game a little bit. I did want to mention this. This is in my notes. Uh. Marcel Ozuna blasted a ball 483,000 feet. So I don't know the actual distance of it, but <laughs> I believe he also struck out twice in the game. So I'm not going to be too excited about it. I, I'm not going to say it's a turnaround yet, but it was good to see Marcel give a little bit of run production. And obviously it was a big shot. Anytime he scored, put three runs on the board, it's, it's an important, you know, important home run. So props to Marcel. A, it was nice to see him blast one. He had a big sack fly too. I mean, four RBI night for Marcel. Yeah, um, you know, Marcel's a guy, he hits the ball hard, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say he's turning around because he's the batting average is down below 220, but, uh, you know, we as Braves fans, we should all hope that he does turn it around. So that's what we're going to do right here. We are going to hope that this is a Marcel who's in the turnaround, and he's about to go on an absolute rampage the rest of the season. Talking about Wednesday's game, too, to kind of round it out, um, I had a couple notes I wanted to go over. There's a couple guys in this Braves lineup that we've seen become hot here lately and they've really kept it up so in just in this two game series against boston uh ronald acuna four for ten with three runs and a walk um the dude's out there playing some really really good baseball right now so i am boy is it good to see ronnie back we needed him so bad um you saw people talk about taking him out of the leadoff spot and it's going to change the lineup a lot so he got hot at the right time. Man, I just pray that he can keep it up because he is playing some really, really good baseball right now. And Eddie Rosario keeping it up too. Two for five in the series with a couple RBIs. Uh, I think he drew a walk as well. So um, two guys that have kind of maintained their their hot streaks, and I hope that they can carry this in because uh, this is, you know, we talked about it last week or last episode, this NL East race is – it. it it is. It's just at the point of if we if we drop a couple games and the Mets pick up a couple, it becomes out of reach. So if we have any hope of regaining this NL East and and competing to win it with a couple series against the Mets left, these are two guys in the lineup that have to be staples for us. They have to play good. We can't afford to have a weak spot in our lineup. And I I just I just hope that these guys can keep it going. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, Ronnie's one of those guys that whenever he's on, he is. He can carry your whole team. And I still don't think we've seen Ronnie on like we normally are. Ronnie has been hitting the ball well, and he hit that home run. But Ronnie has been hitting a lot of singles lately. And that that's that's no complaint. But whenever Ronnie starts putting the ball in the air and he starts going on with them tears where he hits five home runs, six home runs in a week, that Ronnie is the one that can carry this Braves offense. The singles are fine. Don't get me wrong. You are hitting singles in front of Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, and Matt Olson. And no matter how cold the lineup gets, it is very hard for any team in baseball to keep those three guys cold all at one time. Um, I know Matt Olson. Matt Olson, he's been up and down. Um, obviously, me, I was I was at Kitty's house and we watched Matt Olson. Seem like he hit a 440 foot shot and it died at the track. Um, kind of upset to see that. We were all amped up for it and then it just died. We had one of the classic Chip Carey moments where he was all amped up for it too, and it didn't work out well, but. You know, he's still hitting the ball hard. Uh, we love Matt Olson. I don't think there was a better guy to bring in to replace Freddie. We love you, Freddie, too. I know the Braves fans have an issue with him leaving, and, you know, rightfully so if that's what you believe. 
But, you know, Matt Olson, Matt Olson seems like he's the guy. And obviously he is. He's here for the next, what, eight years, I believe. Yeah. And that Fenway Park is the only ballpark in the MLB that keeps that ball in. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, That was all I have for it. So I know you wanted to talk about Grissom a little bit more. Um, So I'll, I'll let you I'll let you take the wheel. Um, so rounded out to finish this, um, a couple guys I wanted to talk about. We talked about Eddie. We talked about Acuna. We talked about Ozuna. Um, Dansby and Austin Riley, these guys have been good all year. They want to combine eight for 22 in this series with seven RBIs between the both of them. Um, that's amazing. And then Michael Harris, man, we've seen him be good all year. He hasn't slowed down at all. Three for eight in this series with an RBI, two runs, and a walk. Um, so we've got the right guys playing good ball at the right time. So these guys, man, we really need them to keep it up, especially headed into the later months of the year. And that leads us to Mr. Vaughn, the man of the hour, the man of the episode. You see the jersey. I'm wearing it right now. I'm representing for the dude. Vaughn Grissom, man, in his first MLB appearance, in his first start, he went two for four with two RBIs, two runs, and a stolen base and hit a moonshot over the monster. An absolute tater with an absolute insane bat flip. Oh, my goodness. He threw the bat to Mars. It was amazing. It was like one of those MLB the show type bat flips where he swings and in the same stroke just pitches that thing. And it was gorgeous. And you saw all the the prerequisites, people talking about Vaughn Grissom before he come up saying, oh, he hits for average. He's a good defender. Um, You know, he's going to give you some quality defensive play, but he's not the power hitter. He's not going to hit these towering moonshots like Michael Harris. And I'm not saying that he's Michael Harris, but the dude comes out there and hits a nuke in his first uh, in his first game, his first big league hit. So that was great to see. Kind of break the narrative a little bit for Mr. Vaughn. So um, obviously, you've heard what I have to say about it. Um, Vaughn Grissom, he's a stud. Yeah, and he, he he looks the part too. I mean, you see him on the field. Everything looks everything looks comfortable. They play like. I know I had mentioned this to Kenny yesterday. We talked, we were texting a little bit during the game. And even you go to a single he had hit, I believe, in the eighth inning. Um, it was a two strike. I think it was a, a one two count. And they threw him a slider down and away. And he stuck with it and roped it to left field for a single. Like, as, as a guy that's making his major league debut to stick with something, I mean, that's, that's a pitch that we saw guys like Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley struggle with for a year or two before they even got Dansby Swanson. You could say he struggled with that pitch all the way up until this year. So, I mean, you know, that, that, that's always fun to see. And uh, I just kind of sidetracked myself a little bit in my head. So I'm going to talk about it too. I was looking at some stats of like, it was like hitters against their best pitch. And Austin Riley was the best hitter in baseball against, or the second best hitter in baseball against both sliders and curveballs, which is pretty insane to me, knowing his his past troubles he had with the breaking ball whenever he first came up. He's always been a fastball killer, and now all of a sudden he's just he just st- sticking with pitches and uh, tatering things. One thing I noticed with Austin Riley, and I and I kind of said it uh, last year, is that I feel like when Austin Riley first came up, he was going up there trying to hit the ball at 500 feet every single swing. And I think it took Austin Riley to figure out, okay, I'm a big guy. I'm like 6'3", 245. I can take a pretty nice, easy swing and drive the ball to the fence and hit and settle with my little 420-foot shot. And you see Austin Riley now, it's such a different approach than what he used to come up with. Like, Austin Riley's putting up competitive at-bats. He's a guy that has no problem slapping the ball the opposite way for a single. And, you know, he's, he just turned into an all-around great hitter. 
He's incredible. Um, so I think that's enough for the for the Wednesday talk. Obviously, Von Grissom again. Thank you, Vaughn. We're gonna talk about the Vaughn. Um today, uh there's no game today. Brace have an off day today. Um if you're listening to this on Friday, the podcast side of things, uh we're talking about Thursday. We had an off day. Uh we're going back to Albies. We didn't lost, we didn't lost the Grissom. We're done with the Grissom. We're going to Albies. <laughs> I respect it. Um Today, the Braves announced that Max Freed got placed in the seven-day uh, concussion IL. Um, I think it's retroactive, so I think retroactive back to like two days. So I don't think Max is going to miss a start because they announced the starters for the Miami series. I believe it is, uh, who is it? Odorizzi game one, Anderson game two, the first game of the doubleheader, Strider game three, the second game of the doubleheader, and game four is Charlie Morton, so... I'm pretty sure Freed should be right back in the rotation. I think they'll let uh he'll either pitch what Monday or Tuesday, um, somewhere in there. Which is gonna be good to see. Um for the move, we called up reliever Jay Jackson. Jay Jackson's been a guy, he's been hurt most of the year, and I think he just went through a rehab too, and he got optioned down to AAA as soon as the rehab ended about a week ago. Jay Jackson's a major league guy with some major league experience. Um he'll go right in the bullpen, fit in until Max gets back, just just a little bit more depth in the bullpen, a guy that you can pitch in a situation if you have to and be pretty comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, Max is on the seven-day concussion IL. We got Jay Jackson on the roster for the doubleheader. Let's go. Freed absolutely just wrecked his dome off of the grass. So uh, I hope he's all right because he definitely took a hard hit there. There were so many memes going around Twitter about Max Freed that day. And I, was, I felt bad, honestly, because the guy was trying to make a play that 99.8% of pitchers probably wouldn't even try to attempt. And it, it didn't work out very well for him. It, it was a goofy-looking play. Obviously, Max Fried is the, is the best fielding pitcher in Major League Baseball. I think he's won back-to-back gold gloves now. He's an amazing fielder, but that <laughs> him going down to try to hit that bare hand falling throw to, to the catcher, and it goes like two feet, and it just... <laughs> it, it, was, it was a little blooper moment. Um, obviously, Max, we hope you're okay. You know, hope you, hope you start feeling better. We can't wait to get you back in the rotation, but, you know... Got to call you out on that one a little bit. It was it was a little bit funny looking play. It was definitely goofy. Is that is that on the brave side? Uh, I have I have two things MLB wise, and it's just quick things I would like to get into. Um, I just wanted to touch on Ozzy Albie's. Okay, yeah, yeah, you go ahead. Um, so obviously Ozzy goes down with the foot injury. Um, and they kind of, they released a six to eight week timeline, and then they kind of backpedaled on a little bit and said that they're being a little bit more cautious with him. So um, I wanted to, to kind of talk about the injury that he had. He had surgery, so they're giving him a little bit of extra time to recover, That I, like I just mentioned. A full 10 weeks from the date of surgery is kind of a, a more conservative timeline for him. So I wanted to look at some potential dates that Ozzy could be back in uniform. So if they give him the full 10 weeks, like they mentioned, that'll put Ozzy at getting back into the, into the, uh, in the bigs around August 24th. Um, and then obviously you go week by week after that. So it's looking like... Timeline-wise, if you go, whether they go 10, 11, 12, 13 weeks, it seems like the latest we would see Ozzy back in this lineup would be uh, September 14th. So um, I'm kind of marking, I'm looking at September 7th. That's 12 weeks from surgery for Ozzy. That gives them a really, really good recovery time. Um, Obviously, the final game of the regular season for us is on October 5th. So if we could get Ozzy back by that September 7th timeline is kind of what I'm thinking. That'll give them a just under a month to kind of get his, his wits about him and get his feet under him and, and get his you know play figured out headed into the postseason. 
So uh, look for Ozzy to come back early September. Uh, I agree. I'm going to go towards the uh, August 2nd. Usually, and the only reason I'm saying that is because most of the time in baseball, it's kind of a weird thing, but you see a lot of guys always get brought back on homestands. I, I think it's it's just kind of more comfortable for them to come back. And Wait, what, what dates are you talking about? Uh, I'm sorry, I said August 2nd, September 2nd. That, that is my apologies. Um, we're playing the Marlins at home that Friday. And like I, like I had mentioned, usually you see guys come back during homestands. It's not very common. Like usually during a long-term injury, you'll see guys uh, pop back in right on cue. Yeah. So, you know. Well, that would make sense timeline-wise. That would put them right there um, at the 11-and-a-half week mark since surgery. So that, that gives them plenty of time if you're going based off of that 10-week timeline that they gave us originally. Yeah, and it's, we're, we're at an interesting point in the year, too, because you honestly, you don't want to wait too long because – you, you want this guy to get some regular season time in before the postseason comes around. But, I mean, we're also at the point right now, if Von Grissom comes out and is Babe Ruth for a month, you're going to be feeling like, okay, maybe we don't have to rush Ozzy back. Now, obviously, there's other things around it. I don't know what's going on inside the organization. I, I've heard little chirps and stuff. This is all just social media people talking, um, talking about how Von might, might move to left, even though he's never played a professional game in left. But, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of different options the Braves could go to in that aspect. But, honestly, anytime you add a guy like Ozzy Albies to your team, it is a plus. It's like a uh, it's like a trade after the trade deadline, as Chip Carey would say. So, yeah. <laughs> give a little Chip Carey reference. And, um, it's actually Chip Carey likes to say it's like adding, it's like making a trade without making a trade. But, I mean, we're past trade deadline, so it's a little different here. <laughs> um... So yeah, Ozzy Ozzy's gonna be coming back soon and he is going to be back to his normal stuff. I am confident in that. Absolutely. Can't hope for anything less. Okay, so MLB. Um I just wanted to talk about uh Pirates Rodolfo Castro a little bit. Um what yeah. an absolute stud or clown, whatever you want to say, for sliding into third base and his phone falls out of his back pocket. I don't know if they've came up with like any any punishment yet. Um, I know that they said they were gonna look into. It. I don't know if they've came up with anything yet. It was actually funny how it went down because the umpire kind of like he kind of like stood there and he gave like a little point towards the ground. <laughs> like I I would figure like okay you're out the game. Like I feel like if I was an umpire like okay you're done. Like <laughs> we've already had plenty of cheating scandals in the past. And I don't know if the Pirates are one of those teams that are out there cheating, but. <laughs> Let let Jose Altuve slide into third base and a phone falls out of his pocket. You know how crazy Twitter would go. That's exactly what I was about to say. If it wasn't the Pittsburgh Pirates, this would be talked about a whole lot more. Yeah, we're treating it like it's a joke because it's the Pirates. But you imagine like Will Smith from the Dodgers slides into third and he has a phone in his back pocket. Like everybody's going to be talking about it. Like okay, the Dodgers are cheating. Yeah, the fans would be pissed. Fans would be raving. Pull this guy. This is a disgrace to baseball. Um, Hall of Fame game. I said, why do I have it? I was stuck on our last podcast. Field of Dreams game. Um, I don't have much about it because it is the Cubs and Reds, and that is all I have about it. What an absolute terrible Fields of Dreams game. This is, like, honestly, I like the Fields of Dreams game. It's cool seeing the introductions. I will even go back and watch the introductions, but I am not going to watch this baseball game. Obviously, it's it's live right now as we talk, but, you know, I, I will go watch some guys come out. I love the introductions from last year. Obviously, last year was the Yankees and White Sox. And I can't say so much about the White Sox this year because they're kind of trash. But last year, that was like a premium matchup. And then we go into this year and we get the Cubs and Reds. 
Yeah, I I don't know what I expected, but I thought we were going to see like White Sox Yankees year in year out, which I would have preferred way as it should way be. more over this uh, Reds Cubs matchup that they gave us this year. That just kind of seemed random to me. So um, obviously we're not excited about it, and I don't think anyone else is. No, uh, and you better enjoy it this year because it will not be played next year. Um, there's going to be construction going on at the uh, Field of Dreams, um, so they won't be playing it next year. But it'll it'll be back after that. So next year they're going to be off. Um, I did want to mention, I, I watched the video on Twitter earlier today, like as it was going down, and I don't know if you had seen it, but Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr. coming out of the corn at the same time was a really, really cool thing to see. Obviously, I love Jr. Uh, we're getting the, MO, we're getting the 99 Jr. and MLB The Show tomorrow. Can't wait to grind that little little gaming reference out. Um, but yeah, it, it was awesome to see the father-son duo come out and, and make their entrance from the corn. That's the, the best thing about the the Field of Dreams games is seeing people walk out of the corn. That is and, it. Uh, that's literally the highlight. And obviously, we had a good game last year. So, you know, we just talked about this one not being as exciting. But, yeah, no, we'll definitely tune into that and watch the replays because that's always a cool thing to see. Did you ever watch the video I sent you about the with the little kid talking about corn? He was, oh. like, at the fair and he had the little corn in his hand. He was like, I oh, like yeah. he, he was He was like, it's just about cone. <laughs> <laughs> I just like cone. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of how I feel about the Field of Dreams game. If you have not seen that video, just look up. I think they had posted something about it like on social media, like MLB or one of those things that posted that same, like a little clip from that same video for the Field of Dreams thing. And it honestly, it might be one of, it might be one of my favorite videos I've seen this year. So, you know, if you haven't seen the little kid sit at the fair with his little corn on the cob, he gives like a whole two, two minute and 30 second breakdown of how come cone is his favorite thing. So, you know, the little outside of sports thing. You need to check it out. It will definitely put a smile on your face. Fried chicken. I just love fried chicken. I just, it's just fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love fried chicken? <laughs> All right. Let's get to the big boy league. Uh, NFL. Uh, I, I have a couple notes written down, Kenny. Um, do you have anything that you would like to talk about outside of betting? Well, I wanted to talk about uh, Malik Willis. Yeah, that's a live one going on right now. Yeah, it's a live one. He is out of the game. His, um, I just had it in front of me. Let's see if I can find it. The dude balled out. I saw he had a, here it is. In his preseason debut, Malik Willis goes 6 for 11, 130 total yards, and 88.1 passer rating and a rushing touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, 30, yeah, 38 yards on the ground. Yeah, Malik Willis is going to be a problem, I think. A lot to, a lot to say for a guy who's not getting any help from the starting quarterback because, you know, Ryan Tannehill, it's not his job to, to train up the guys underneath him and be a mentor. That is, that is so true. And it's so funny because I think every – oh, let's go. Um, live update, Patriots just tied the Giants with 450 left in the, first, in the fourth quarter. Um, we'll get to a little Ooh. bit of – We'll get to a little bit of betting stuff a little bit later. Uh, actually, uh, correction, extra point, 21-20, Patriots. There you go. Um, so, back to the league. Um, what, what did we – okay, now Malik Willis. Okay, the, the, the Steelers, I think everybody had felt like the Steelers would, might go Malik Willis at 20, and that was including me. I thought Malik Willis was going to be the first guy off the board, and whenever the Steelers got there and Malik Willis was not off the board yet, I felt like that was going to be their pick. And they took Kenny Pickett. And all the reports I've heard coming out of camp is that Kenny Pickett looks like absolute dog water. So, honestly. Well, I saw um, Pittsburgh Beat rep reporter uh, 
Mark Kabali, Mark Kabali. I'm not sure. He's been there for a long time. But he reported that it's pretty much a lock that we're going to see Mitch Trubisky starting week one. And that as of right now on the depth chart, Mason Rudolph has locked down the backup spot. So the the real the only real competition in Steelers camp right now is for the number two spot, and it's between Kenny and Mason Rudolph. And right now it looks like Rudolph's got a hold on it. And obviously he has the experience. Um, and I'm a Kenny fan. I, I think Kenny Pickett's a good quarterback. Obviously he was a Heisman candidate in college, broke all Dan Marino's records, which is crazy to think about. But, um, you know, I think he'll be a good player. But – you know, when you bring in a guy like Mitch Trubisky that you're paying, I think, like $16 million to, um, he's going to play. Yeah, definitely. And uh, people forget about Mason Rudolph because, obviously, Mason Rudolph's kind of a meme quarterback in the NFL. But I think I, I want to say that Mason Rudolph had came in and did not have a quarterback coach whenever he was playing with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to say they had got rid of their quarterback coach, and they didn't have a quarterback coach during that season whenever Miles Garrett bashed him on the head. So, Considering Miles Garrett bashed your head in with your own helmet and you didn't have a quarterback coach, you were kind of destined for failure. <laughs> Literally. Um. So I have a I have a couple notes. Is that is that all you have on the league? Yeah. Aside from what we're gonna talk about at the end. Okay. Uh. I want to want to start with Falcons. Uh, Lions coach Dan Campbell, absolute legend, uh, came out and said that he had a conversation with Arthur Smith, and they plan on playing their starters for around a quarter to start. So. We'll see some. We'll see some uh, starters from that game. Honestly, starters in this game are like. <laughs> I don't know how excited I am. I mean, I'm, I, we're gonna get a little golf, a little bit of uh, Marcus Mariota. It's gonna be one of the better quarterback matchups you might see in the preseason. Honestly, <laughs> probably week one preseason, one of the better quarterback matchups. But uh, so that that's gonna be cool to see. We're gonna get to see some of our guys come out there and ball out for a quarter. I think Arthur Smith had a quote and said that. He's not going to have Grady Jarrett out there against a third-string right guard just destroying him. So, you know, <laughs> I think they kind of have, like, a little gentleman's agreement in this game. Like, let's not beat up each other's guys. Let's play our starters, and let's get our let's get our second and third-string guys in, you know, as the game goes on, which I like in preseason. Where nobody's out there to win football games. You're out there to get your young guys reps to see who makes the team and kind of get your veterans into that, you know, weekly mojo, you know, getting in game prep and all that fun stuff. So. It's a good move, honestly. I don't I don't want no Falcons fans to get down hurt for any stupid injuries in preseason. And I don't want no Lions guys to get hurt for stupid injuries in preseason. You never like to see that. You never like to see big injuries in meaningless games. So, you know, props to them for making that agreement. On the entire country right now are Lions fans. Um, if you haven't, check out Hard Knocks on HBO. Um, every year, obviously, if you're a football fan, a sports fan, NFL fan, you probably have seen Hard Knocks if you don't watch it religiously like I do. Um, when you talk about a guy like like Dan Campbell, Motor City Dan Campbell, the MCDC. biting your kneecaps off in a press in a presser after the game, t- just a super gritty guy. I think the the team motto for the Lions this year is grit. They just have that grit everywhere, all over the locker room, all over the meeting rooms, and he's the perfect guy to bring that to you. So if you haven't, you need to check it out. Hard Knocks is, is awesome. The first episode came out last night. It's a banger. Um, and they just, it, obviously, it's, it's about the Lions, so they kind of go into depth, and you really get to see that coaching staff. So everyone's high on the Lions right now. I'm excited to see them play the Falcons and, and get some starter action. Um, so I'm pumped for that game. And, dude, MCDC is an absolute animal. He, the team did 40 straight up-downs consecutively. And he did all 40 with the team. Didn't break stride one time. Had a wrist brace on said, oh, I was uh, walking through the house, man, and I uh, uh, 
stepping over the little baby gate man and we had three or four of the little dogs standing there. I, I, I tripped over a man. I fell down. I caught myself. I, I think I broke my wrist. I think I broke my freaking wrist. <laughs> so the guy, I was like, man, I told the guys I was going to come out here and do the up downs with them. I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. So I went to the trainer. The trainer put some tape on there. I didn't know we were doing 40, 40 up downs. Are you kidding me? But dude, absolute dog. He did every single one of them. Never broke stride. He looks like an absolute animal. So um, the fact that it's a Falcons versus Lions football game is exciting, and I'm just happy that it's not an Artie Smith versus MCDC cage match, because that would be a rough one for the Falcons. To be honest, you know, TJ, TJ gets his, uh, you know, gets his first quarter in. We might, we might see MCDC enter the game in the second quarter as the tight end. You know, whenever Hot, whenever Hot gets a little winded, gets a little, you know, gets his little two or three catches in, you know, Love TJ Hawkinson, big fan right here. But uh, you might see a little MCDC enter. So, Thinking you know. Dan Campbell at quarterback. Just do it. I mean, he's probably the best option. Better than David yeah. Blau. So. <laughs> Can he throw and catch the ball himself? Probably. I don't see why not. If anybody can, it's him. Um, so, next thing on my agenda, Roquan Smith. Um, it is a Falcons dream. To see Roquan Smith put on an Atlanta Falcons uniform. Obviously, he requested a trade from the Chicago Bears. I believe it is due to contract negotiations. He said they were um they were not very kind in their offers. I don't remember the exact term he used. Um they weren't negotiating in good faith. Good faith. That is that is exactly the word I was looking for. So uh, you know, it it we're about to see Mr. Roquan possibly be traded before the NFL season, which is going to be Huge, depending on the team. And I would love to see Roquan be in a Falcons uh, uniform too, but I have one rule, and it is that if the Falcons were to pay a linebacker, Foya Luakun would still be an Atlanta Falcon right now. So that that's my one one reason why I do not think that we are in on this. We had a guy that I would consider close to the same tier as Roquan, already in the system, already wearing the uh, green dot on the back of the helmet, making play calls last year. I, I don't see you getting rid of him just to bring another guy in. And that's a good point. And if you don't follow the NFL closely, you might not be familiar with it, but it's a tried and true uh, method for teams year after year. So with the NFL PA and the negotiations that have went on, it makes it pretty much impossible for a player to hold out like they used to be able to. Because now if you hold out, they'll actually find you. I think it's like $50,000 a day that yeah. you don't show up for practice. So a tried and true method that these teams have been doing is when you're in contract negotiations with a player who obviously is not going to come out there and play and risk the the situation of, of potentially getting hurt and messing up those contract negotiations, teams will actually voluntarily put them on the pup list. And what the pup list does is it, it basically keeps them from having to participate or hold out and miss out on that $50,000, that $50,000 fine that they could be incurring. So an interesting situation with the Roquan with the Roquan deal is uh, they did voluntarily put him on the pup list because they were in active negotiations. They have now taken him off of the pup list. So um, he is at practice. He is not participating, but he's there because he's not going to pay $50,000 a day to not show up. So um, that's an interesting situation. That tells me one of two things, and, and one of two things it tells us from a business perspective and a team perspective is that they are, one, negotiating actively negotiating, trying to mend the relationship with him to bring him back, or two, he's on his way out. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, and there's, like you said, there's a lot of things that go into this. Um, I had listed down a couple of my best fits that I feel like would I, I would like to see Roquan play. The first one I listed was the Broncos. Um, the Broncos already have a pretty solid defense, uh, but their biggest need is definitely the middle linebacker spot. They don't really have a, a, a major guy there. Um, they did re-sign Josie Jewell to play middle linebacker, but they have a big competition to take that second spot. So I think Roquan, if you throw him on that Denver defense with Denver you know, already trying to make a push this year, um, I think he could be a really, really big impact player for them. Um, and like I, I want to say that Roquan would be a very, very big impact player anywhere he goes, but um, this is just my team's. I feel like he'd be best fit. Um, Ravens. The main reason I have the Ravens is because right now they have Patrick Queen. And Patrick Queen has been somewhat disappointing so far in his NFL career. He's not a bad player, but I think a lot of people had expected Patrick Queen to step up and be like a top 10, top 5 guy at that, that position. And he hasn't really, he hasn't really you know, been that type of guy in the league. Um, but I feel like you add Roquan to that and let Patrick Queen assume like a smaller role on the defense, it, it would be very, very beneficial. And obviously Baltimore's a playoff team. So I think that that'd be a good addition for them. And then I have the Chargers. The Chargers this offseason, man, they already bolstered up the defense with Khalil Mack and JC Jackson. You go out and add Roquan Smith to that defense with the offense they have, the Chargers could be a legit team. And I don't want to be a little bit, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I think. You know, they might already be there, but if they had Roquan, he might be the favorite to win that AFC West. Yeah, it's an interesting division. Um, obviously, the best division in football. You got four teams that could win it, and regardless, four teams that could make the playoffs with the new playoff structure. So, um, yeah, that would be a crazy pickup for them. And they already have a really good linebacking core, especially because I think they have Kenneth Murray. So you bring a mm -hmm. guy like Roquan in and that in that second inside backer spot, Ooh, you talk about the best linebacker tandem in football. I know you see a team like the Bucks with Levante David and Devin White, but Roquan Smith and Kenneth Murray, they're definitely in the conversation if they can pull that off. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you have any teams in, in your mind or, you know, obviously any playoff team I feel like would be a good fit for Roquan, any team that wants to add a little bit of depth to that defense, a little bit of star power to the defense? Um, yeah. I would potentially look at a team like the Chiefs. We just talked about them in the AFC West and the situation there. Um, the Chiefs, obviously, you see them lose big-name guys on the offensive side like Tyreek Hill, and they go all in and, and try the best they can. It's hard to replace a guy like Tyreek, but you replace him with depth is kind of the best way you can do it, and they certainly did that by bringing in Sky Moore, who is a, a very, very highly graded rookie coming in this year, and he's having an insane camp right now. Um, and then obviously the big name guys like Juju and, and MVS coming in there. Um, but on the defensive side of the ball, they had, is it Anthony Hitchens that's been their mic for the past few years? I believe so. They lost him this year to free agency. Um, I'm not sure if he signed anywhere or if they didn't bring him back. But right now at the starting mic for them is Willie Gay. Um, you know, and no shots at, at Willie Gay by any means. Um, the guy's a second round pick from the 2020 class, but certainly that position could be upgraded with the addition of uh, Roquan Smith. And the Chiefs have been a team that have made some uh, some moves. They just picked up, I think, Carlos Dunlap to come in and play defensive end for them, who is a, you know, a highly graded guy, a, a noted player. Um, and I'm looking it up right now because I'm curious. The Chiefs do have uh, just under $15 million in salary cap for the year. So... Um, 
that's a a team that could probably and obviously the salary cap is fake guys don't let the numbers fool you yeah um teams can make anything work if they want to but i know inside linebacker has been a point of emphasis for the chiefs throughout this offseason and willie gay you bring him in in the 2020 draft class and and i think he's a good player but that position could definitely use to be upgraded so i would look out for the chiefs here they've been aggressive with some free agents and a little sign a couple signings that you wouldn't have expected them make so i wouldn't be surprised to see them make a push no, I, d- I definitely agree. Uh, the Chiefs the Chiefs are a team that – they're one of those teams that you look at for almost anybody. Um, I know that there's a little bit of, like, Odell conversation out there, too, with uh, all the major playoff teams. The Bills seem like right now they've come out as the favorite to land them. And me personally, I was expecting Odell to not sign anywhere until maybe week seven or week eight because, honestly, he, he can do that. Like, he can kind of get the feel for the league and then hop on a team right away and just join a playoff team and just make them better. Um, I, I wanted to interrupt right quick. Uh, Giants kick a game-winning field goal. Final score, 23-21. <laughs> uh, so um, I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, so Odell is going to be an interesting one. And, uh, yeah, just a little wrap-up for a little bit of trade guys out there in the league right now, a little trade free agent guys. Uh, Matt yeah, Ryan. Think, oh, uh... go ahead. I'll, I'll say one thing about the Odell situation. Uh, shout out Pat McAfee. Um, they had Von Miller on the show today, and Von Miller kind of gave a little insight to the Odell situation. Obviously, Von Miller and Odell Beckham are really close, played together, won the Super Bowl with the Rams. Odell probably, you know, people don't talk about it, probably would have been the Super Bowl MVP had he not gone down with that injury. Yeah. Um, so, but Von touched on a couple things. He said, one, Odell really just wants to win. So I think. And obviously, he's coming off the injury, so that's probably a reason why he hasn't signed anywhere is he's focused on recovery. But um, I don't want to say it's a lock, but I think if Odell's going to sign with anybody before the season starts, it's going to be Buffalo. Yeah, every, everything, all the all the signs are pointing that direction, so I agree with that. Um, Matt Ryan, I want to talk a little bit about Matty Ice. I know we mentioned Matty Ice uh, one or two podcasts ago. The, they released a video on social media, like a little five-minute clip of him uh, at training camp. and. What a guy, man. The type of leader that Matt Ryan is on a field. I saw him out there with the young wide receivers showing them the cuts he wants them to make on their routes. He was explaining to them everything, and you could, like, see the intensity. Running the route. What is it? He was running the route. Yeah, he was, he was, like, like jogging, hitting cuts and everything. Like, Matt Ryan is such a good leader, man. And I want to say he kind of, like, he seems like he's rejuvenated. Like, it seems like he's excited to be in Indianapolis, you know. Obviously, if Matt Ryan goes there and they play good ball, we're talking about arguably the best defense in the AFC, arguably the best defense in, in the NFL. So, you know, probably the best offensive line in the NFL and arguably the best running back in the NFL. The wide receiver yeah. group's a little bit, a little bit light, but I mean, but I, a little bit slept on as well. Yeah, definitely a little bit slept on. They have some guys, you know, on that team. And I mentioned Michael Pittman before. Uh, I'm, I'm really, really high on Michael Pittman. And even seeing Matt Ryan and Michael Pittman work in the training camp like it, I think that those two guys could come together and be a dynamic duo. No, I agree 100%. Michael Her- or Michael Pittman is a dog, um, and he and Matt Ryan already have a crazy connection. You saw in that five-minute video. Guys, if you haven't watched it, you need to go check it out, especially if you're a Georgia sports fan, a Falcons fan, because it'll make you miss this guy. But, yeah, I think the wide receiver room for them is a little bit slept on. They've got guys like Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell, yep. not to mention, um, you know, some some other guys like like Kiki Cote. Is it Cote? Cote? I don't know how you pronounce that. But um, 
I think we always just make a joke about that name whenever we talk about him. So I'm, I'm not going to mention that on the podcast. We're, we're family friendly. So, uh, you know, the wide receiver group for them is definitely a weak point, but you, you, it's something that could be addressed. It's something that could be addressed as the season goes on as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, Tom Brady will be away from the Bucks for around a week. And I looked up NFL news, and this is one of the biggest things going around right now. The guy is away from the away for a week. And I have an idea of what it is. I'm assuming that Brady had planned a post-retirement vacation. And then he came out of retirement. And now he is taking his week vacation. <laughs> and if Tom Brady yeah. comes to the Buccaneers and says, Hey, bro, I already paid for this vacation and I'm going to take it. You're not going to tell Tom Brady. No. So yeah. What are you going to do? It's not like he was going to play in the preseason anyways. Exactly. It's not, a, it's not that big of a deal. Obviously you look at the Bucks offense, look at the Bucks team as a whole, really. It's a team full of veterans. I don't think that they're really going to be missing too much by missing Brady for a week. Not at all. And a guy like Blaine Gabbert, he's a, he's a veteran. So yeah. he's, he's, he's a guy that was going to play in the preseason anyway. So Tom Brady wasn't going to touch the field. Yeah, he's a guy. He's a guy you feel pretty comfortable with. If any of your, I don't even want to say young wide receivers because I don't even know if they have any young wide receivers on that roster. I mean, we're talking about a roster that has Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, and uh, Russell Gage as their top four, which might be the best four wide receivers in in the NFL as a group. It's another thing too that um, Russell Gage went down with injury this week. Yeah, I saw that. I saw. I think. I think it came out that it was a minor injury which is good, but, you know, yeah, from, the, from the initial reports, it seemed like it was pretty bad. Yeah, I don't have uh, an update on him off the top of my head. I will dive into it as we speak. Yeah, he's listed as day-to-day. Um, I think just he just tweaked the hamstring. hamstring. Okay, yeah, I think he tweaked the hamstring, so that's good. I heard, like, the reports made it seem scary. All the stuff I was seeing on Twitter yeah. was like, oh, he's down. Like, I, But, yeah, he's he's fine. Uh, That's good to see. My next note I have, uh, former Patriots running back James White has announced he is retiring from football. And the Super Bowl videos from the 28-3 game are all over Twitter right now, which is not very fun for us Falcons fans. Not at all. So, James White, hell of a career. Oh, yeah. Props to you. But, man, that dude killed us. Yeah. Brady figured out that, okay, all I do is have to just throw this ball to James White every play, and we will win a Super Bowl. So he did yeah, that. I walked it off. Um, Antonio Brown. Uh, that is another major talk going around the league right now. Antonio Brown came on Instagram. He had a very, very interesting quote, and I'm going to go ahead and quote it right here. This is the words from Antonio Brown. My biggest regret in my career doesn't involve calling my GM a cracker. It says explicit on here, but I'll go ahead and drop the word. <laughs> or, you get the pass. I, I think so. Or showing up to Raiders camp late in a hot air balloon with frozen feet. Or throwing rocks at the UPS driver. It definitely doesn't involve taking off my shirt, taking off my shirt off. This is his quotes. I did not misread that. Um, and doing a victory lap around the Jets stadium mid-game while thawing up the deuces. He also misspelled deuces. I had auto-corrected it for him in my little thing right here. <laughs> my biggest regret is that I'll never get to see me, Antonio Brown, play a game live. Sure, I can watch the games afterwards. But I can't imagine what that was like for you all to see something like that. Like watching the Beatles or Jesus perform at Red Rocks. Dude's a head case. Yeah, dude just watched, uh, he just watched um, Step Brothers. And he was high on 87 different prescription drugs for his CTE. Yeah, shout out Tick Pick. Um, if you know who Tick, 
tick pick is. Because you better be careful are, saying that. <laughs> they are a, uh, a a ticket app and a ticket source where you buy sport tickets. I don't know anything about them, concert tickets, et cetera. Um, with a banger quote tweet to this saying that AB higher than StubHub's fees right now. Man, I thought you said something else. <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was Seat Geek originally. It was not Seat Geek. Shout out Seat Geek as well. We use Seat Geek for uh, Braves games, uh, but no, it's a ticket app called TickPick. And uh, T I C K, T I C K, straight up quoted this and said that. So what a what a response from TickPick there. Shout out. Okay, you know you get you get like one more one more syllable off, and we're uh, we go from rated E for everyone to rated M for mature. So you know, good 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 pickup right there, Kenny. Yeah, I'll spell it out if I need to. <laughs> all right, so that's all I have for the league. Just a little, a couple of news updates. I do have a couple of, uh, I do have one NBA thing I want to talk about. Something pretty big happened today in the league. Just a league-wide thing. I don't know if you have anything NFL you want to talk about. NFL or NBA? NFL. Do you have any, any, anything to wrap up the NFL? Um, I don't think so. I think that covers it for me. I was going to, I wanted to touch on the AB thing as well. So you hit the nail on the head. Shout out Tick Pick. Tick Pick. Thank you. Um, the NBA. So today, the league announced that they were retiring the number six league wide in honor of Bill Russell. This comes less than a month after he had passed away, sadly. Uh, R.I.P. Bill Russell, NBA legend. Um, Russell won eleven championships in thirteen seasons. Um, I don't. This is gonna sound terrible. This is going to sound absolutely awful. If people can still wear the number twenty three, people should still be able to wear the number six. And a question that surfaces in my mind when I read this is, how does this affect LeBron's legacy? Facts. Is LeBron going to stop wearing six now? That brings me to my next note. Players already wearing the number six can still wear them. They are grandfathered in, kind of like Mariano Rivera with the number 42. Yeah. So uh, it, it is very interesting to me, though. I understand. Like I, like I said, RIP, this is nothing against you, Mr. Bill Russell. You are an absolute legend. But when, whenever, whenever the you know the untimely thing happens, and say a guy like Michael Jordan passes, like honestly, retire the number twenty four for Kobe. Like, <laughs> Bill Russell was 80, 88 years old, I believe. Like, you know, he he had he had lived he had lived his life, and he was an absolute legend. But I I don't know if I get behind the retiring a whole number for you know just somebody that didn't you know. I, I don't know if I can get behind that. Yeah, it was, I mean, obviously Bill Russell is a legend, but um, no, it was kind of a, a random thing to see. I just, it made me wonder why they waited this long. Exactly, like, what? because <laughs> he died a month ago? Yeah. I want to keep it blunt, like. <laughs> but it's it's a terrible situation, obviously, and, you know, but it does make you think, because, you know, I mean, and it sounds terrible, guys, and I'm not trying to sound terrible. It, it, you he, can't talk about it without it not sounding terrible. That's the tough, tough part about this, but. Well, Bill Russell's just one of the biggest icons in sports history. So if you want to retire Bill Russell's number, I'm in total support. I think you are too. I think anybody would be. But I'm not. I mean, I'm not in total support. So, well, I no, I'm I'm not saying right now. I'm just saying in general. Like if you're gonna retire a guy like Bill Russell, absolutely retire a guy's number. But he's not any more of a sports legend and what he's done for the game because he passed away. Like his impact exactly. on the game of his impact on the game of basketball has been for years and years. That guy is almost 90 years old. Like the, the way that the game has changed since he came about 
that is decades ago. So if you want to retire a guy's number, by all means, Bill Russell is, you know, top of the list of numbers to retire, but it just seems random that it came at this point. Yeah, and and it's it's random. You wait until the guy passes away and you do something that no other league does. Jackie Robinson is different. Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. It was a very, very important moment in all of sports history. Bill Russell was just a damn good basketball player. Like don't like Bill Russell is a legend, but we don't retire numbers around the league because guys were good at their craft. Like we talk about, like I, I don't, I'm not a hockey guy. I'm assuming Wayne Gretzky's numbers not retired league wide in the NHL. No. And you know, it, it, it's just a random thing. But you know, good, good for Bill. Good for his family. I'm sure it was a good moment for them. But I agree with you on the aspect of waiting till the guy passes away. It almost kind of seems like it's a, it's a publicity thing. Like, oh yeah, look what we did. You know. Give us, give us, give us, you know, some props. Um, Wayne's Gretzky number is retired. It is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. They did it for Gretzky? They did it for Gretzky. All right. So let's do it for, you know, the fringe top 10 player in NBA history. I like it. But I, but I believe they did it when Gretzky retired. Okay. I was he, is very, he is very much still living. Yeah, he is. He he is still around. Uh, I did want to mention a little final note on this. Lou Williams will be the last is the last hawk to ever wear the number six. So, Lou Will, legend, Atlanta legend. Uh, got got uh suspended from the bubble for going to Magic City, getting some wings. So you know, had some fun times in Atlanta. That is that is all my uh. Now actually was not with Atlanta, but in Atlanta and the atmosphere. He's an Atlanta guy. Lou Will is a beast. That's my NBA stuff, by the way. All right. Well, we got a nice-looking little graphic that Jake and I put together. Boom! Um, here we go. We wanted to give you guys some some preseason lines. Uh, we talked about it in past podcasts that we are uh, fan. Whether you're a, a sports betting guy, whether you're a gambling man, gambling woman, however you look at it. Um, the uh, following sport lines is something that we do as fans in general. Just handicapping games is a hobby, and it's something that I think if you're uh, an, an avid sports fan and someone who monitors sports closely, it's an interesting thing. And it, like I said, even if you're not going to bet on it, it's nice to know who's favored, what they're favored by, what the odds are, over-unders in general. So uh, we wanted to, to get this out here. Um, week one in the NFL preseason kicked off tonight. We're going to see it Saturday and Sunday, and I oh I think uh, tomorrow too. So um, here are the four top lines that we picked, including the two from tonight. And uh, we wanted to kind of go over our picks, give you some, you know, our thoughts on, on what to look at for the preseason. And, um, and here it is. So, Jake, why don't you kick us off? Okay, so I'm going to kick you off. Um, where do you want me to start? Where, where, what, is, what is my starting point? Do you want me to talk about some bets I have actively? Because I have some bets yeah. that are already on the screen right here. We'll start with tonight's games. So let me know what you had for tonight, and then um, I'll I'll dive in there as well. Okay, so tonight I had um I had two bets in football. I'll go ahead and get my baseball bet out the way. I did do a baseball bet. Um, I did Orioles money line through first five. I felt I felt uh, confident they had old Dean Kramer on the mound. Orioles been on a hot when they were playing the Red Sox. That unfortunately did not work out for me. So I was I was zero and one in the baseball today. But football side of things. Um, earlier I had mentioned that the Giants kicked a walk-off field goal to put them up uh, 23-21. to 21. I had the Patriots plus three um, 
So my bet hit. I'm I'm one and one on that one. And then we go back to my other bets. I had Ravens minus three. This is a parlay. Ravens minus three. Pats plus three. Titans, Ravens over 31 and a half. Let me just say, this was a $6 bet. It is going to bring me $40, practically. And all right now, right now, the Ravens are up 23 to 10 against the Titans. So they're over. The Ravens are covering. And I already covered the Patriots, baby. A little three-legger to start the betting year, baby. This is my first bet of the year. First day back. Let's go. Starting off hot, the only way to start off. Um, my bets for tonight, I had Giants. Uh, they're, they're at minus three. You see them up there on the board. I actually caught them at two and a half. The line changed uh, right when I placed. So I had Giants minus two and a half. Unfortunately, that did not hit the last second field goal to win the game by two points. Um, that's unfortunate. And in uh, the most characteristic fashion, um, I start off the year 0-1 on a last second on a, on a last second field goal win. So, um now, how, however, to uh, combat that, I also had the over in the Titans-Ravens game of 32 and a half. Uh, it's sitting at 33 right now, so that was a lock for me. So I'll start off the season um, with a very satisfied one-on-one uh, -on -one in the NFL. Nice. I mean, you can't beat it. You know, it's it's better it's better than some of those uh some of those days that we have. You know, where we go, you feel so confident in your bets, and you're 0 and four on the day, 0 and five. That's my biggest problem with the league. I. I I will be honest with y'all. I like to look at the numbers. I will give my opinion on the odds, but I am not a, I, I'm nowhere near as efficient of a NFL better as I am a college football better. So I try. I, I love the league. I watch the games. It's just something about it, man. I, I see that crispy little, uh, you'll, you'll see a game like Bills minus five and a half against the Eagles. And you're like, oh yeah, the, the Bills are going to destroy the Eagles. And all of a sudden the Eagles lose by five. And you're mad. You're like, how does this happen? Yeah, that's how it always works. Yeah, these odds makers know. Just they didn't know me today, boy. I was I was on one. I'm I'm very happy with my start. Um I threw a nice little uh threw a nice little forty five dollar wager at the Patriots earlier. So, you know, them cashing out for me. Nice you know, little yoon. Nice little yoon. So, you know, we love we love to see it. It was it was a good day for me in betting. And you know, we continue that in tomorrow. And Saturday and Sunday. Continue that into the weekend. So as far as Saturday games go, you see two games here on the board for us that we're looking at. Um, the Panthers are playing at the Commanders. Um, the Commanders are favored by one. You get minus 115 on the money line. The over-under set at 37 in this game. Um, I'm on the Panthers. I, I will be taking the Panthers' uh, money line in this game. Uh, plus one doesn't really move me at all. Uh, I'm not too too big on that. So I'll take Panthers' money line. Um, I'm not going to touch that over, and I think 37 is a little too rich for my blood. But um, I want to talk a little bit about this because preseason is a weird time to bet games and a weird time to handicap games in general because you don't really know what you're going to see or what to expect. But I think we may have a diamond in the rough here, Jake. I think we have a hidden gem with these Carolina Panthers, and I think we might have a preseason wagon with this team. Uh, no. When you look, when you look at NFL preseason and how it's been historically, it comes down to quarterback play. What you see is a team like the Bucks, where Tom Brady is not going to see the field, or a team like the Packers, where Aaron Rodgers is not going to see the field, and you see 
a situation of Jordan Love, a situation of Blaine Gabbert, Kyle Trask. And that is an impossible game to project because you just do not know what kind of play you're going to see from those guys. But with the Panthers, an interesting situation here has arisen with the acquisition of Baker Mayfield to the team to where these guys have a bona fide quarterback battle. Now, it's been released this week. Baker Mayfield looks like an absolute stud in camp. He's playing amazing football right now, and it seems like he's got a hold on that number one job. But nonetheless, this quarterback battle is going to continue throughout the preseason headed into the regular season. With that being said, we are going to see two, whether or not you're fans of them or high on them, starting caliber quarterbacks in the NFL get significant PT in the preseason between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. And even if you take those two guys off the board, you look at the other two quarterbacks on their depth chart, they've got Matt Corral, the rookie, and P.J. Walker, who has had a successful NFL career is a strong word because he hasn't been in the league very long, but he's had some good outings. He's played good football. So you got to think seeing a guy like P.J. Walker versus uh, whoever you're going to see, the second or third string quarterback for some other team, I mean, we just saw some of the worst quarterback play we've seen ever in the Hall of Fame game with Kyle Slaughter and and Jarrett Stidham and Nick Mullins. And, uh, you know, I mean, you see a a team like the Jags who Trevor Lawrence and the backup C.J. Beathard weren't in the game, weren't going to play at all. Um, So I think these Panthers, they might be a little little bit of a wagon here. Um, I'm not sure the status of Carson Wentz, what he I don't know if he's going to play or how much he is going to play. One thing that I will say about the commanders is Taylor Heineke is there in the number two spot. He is obviously a very, very good quarterback. Um, he's a guy, whether you're a fan of him or not, it comes down to preseason, like I just said, to experience and playing time. And he's a guy that's seen significant playing time. So, but I'm again, I'm not too sure um, if Carson Wentz does not play, which I'm not sure if he will. But if he does not play, Taylor Heineke might only play a couple drives or a quarter at most. So you run the risk of seeing the Panthers trot out to, you know, I don't want to say top tier, but preseason-wise, top-tier quarterbacks and Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, who are going to get significant playing time in this game. So I think the fact that the commanders are favored is a little bit perplexing to me. I'm not sure why. But um, I feel very comfortable in taking the Panthers here. I will be on them money line. Like I said, I'm not going to touch that over-under. But look out for the Panthers in preseason. I think we might have a wagon ahead of us. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in the game. And as you mentioned, I think, I think it comes down mostly to Carson Wentz. Um, if Carson Wentz can come out there and play a couple drives, uh, I think that we could see a little bit more Heineke, which is going to be very, very important. This mm-hmm. is probably going to be one of the better quarterback matchups you'll see in the preseason. Um, because even behind Heineke, we do get to see a little bit of Sam Howell. And I feel like Sam Howell is one of those guys you never know what could happen in preseason. He can go out there and be an absolute monster. But, I mean, like you said, the Panthers on the other side of the ball have a pretty similar thing with Matt Corral. So, you know, if if Wentz plays, then you could see some Wentz Baker. You could see some Heineke. You could see you see some Heineke uh, Darnold, which I'm not going to pick who's the better quarterback. I <laughs> I I think I think it is it is very very close. It can go either way. So um, and then you can see PJ Walker or Matt Corral against um Mister Mister Sam Howell. So I think that the quarterback matchups we could see in that game are going to be a lot of fun to see. Also, uh, going going back to a game that happened today. Um, I don't want to get too far past it before I talk about it. The Ravens and Titans talk about a quarterback tandem for them Ravens. Um. Tyler Huntley, 16 for 18, 109 and one tutty. And then after him, Anthony Brown, former Oregon Duck quarterback, comes in. He goes 10 for 15, 117 yards through the air. 
Not to mention that uh, Huntley had 17 on the ground. Uh, Anthony Brown had 14. So they both they both did a little stuff on the ground. But Anthony Brown going in the preseason being an absolute stud. Well, you love to see it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I I was a fan of him at Oregon, so I, I'll give him that. I was I was happy to see that. And that'll bring us to the final game on the slate here for us. On the big board, you see the Saints are traveling to Houston to take on the Texans in a week one preseason matchup. Um, the Saints are favored by a point and a half here. You get them at minus 125 on the money line. The over-under is set at 33 and a half. Um, this is Jake's pick, so I'll let Jake dive into this one. So this this game right here is a pretty uh, interesting one to me. Um, I went with the Saints because I, I, look, I look at some quarterback stuff again. Um, I know that the the Texans have Mr. Longneck, Davis Mills. Um, I, who's who's the Texans backup? You have that answer for. I'm putting you on the spot hard right there. I'll pull up the depth chart while you talk about it. Yeah, give me a depth chart up. Uh, obviously we know that the Saints have Jameis, who's dealing with an in, uh, ankle injury right now. But behind him, they have Andy Dalton. If the Red Rifle comes out and he plays a couple drives, you know, I, I think that he's one of the better backup quarterbacks in the NFL. So you know. The only thing is, we talked about the same thing with Heineke. We're, we're in week one of preseason. Like, these are guys that, you know, if, if Andy Dalton goes out to there tomorrow and his pinky's hurt, he's not going to play. So, I mean, th- there's a lot of stuff that goes into this. But even behind him, you have a guy like Ian Book who was with the system last year. He knows he knows about the system. I think he played pretty decent ball last preseason. So, he's got to look out for. I, I, I liked him at Notre Dame when he was coming out of college. And then they have KJ Costello. So, they have they have a couple guys that we can see go out there, some notable college guys that we had either seen in the sec or in uh, the college football playoff so you know kj costello former stanford quarterback went over to mississippi state and played with mike leach was not very exciting but i mean he's there so you know that, that yeah, was my role with don't forget about Taysom hill yeah Taysom's a guy too I, I was interested to see what they do because is Taysom gonna be a guy that gets reps at quarterback I don't uh, during the regular season. No, I don't think so. But um, he still has the quarterback structure and his contract written in there. So I mean, as far as preseason goes, especially trying not to get these guys super heavy PT with Jameis down. Um, I mean, he's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised to see get a couple reps. Okay, perfect, perfect. So we also have Taysom. We have the man, the myth, the legend, Taysom Hill. Um, um Texans. I do have it pulled up. Their backup quarterback is Kyle Allen. Okay, so. So they have, they have a pretty solid backup themselves. Now, he is listed as questionable, so I don't know how that affects uh, LeBron's legacy there. But um, Davis right. Mills, I'm assuming Davis Mills is probably going to get the nod in the preseason game. Yeah, I think Davis Mills is a quarterback you start in the week one preseason game. I don't think you, I don't think he goes long. I don't see him going much past the quarter if he does make it through the first quarter. But he is a guy that definitely will get you know a couple drives in. And then at the, at the third string spot for the Texans, we have NFL legend. Um, Bengals and Lions legend Jeff Driscoll. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, sorry, Florida fans. I want to mention that uh, your quarterbacks like to sit there in the third string spot in the league, and we have a quarterback that just want to uh, just want a Super Bowl. So I want to say, look, I'm going to be stupid. Let me click on his name first. Jeff Driscoll's from. Oh my God, I'm stupid. Did he not go to Florida? Dude, I don't even know. I look, can't even I- begin to tell you. Go ahead. You can go to the next one. I'm about to look this up because I I'm am. Looking it up too. Okay, no, he, he did play Louisiana he... Tech. No, he played at Florida and then transferred to Louisiana Tech. Okay, so he's a Gator legend. Yep, Gator legend transferred over to Louisiana Tech. Okay, so I was right on that. So we might see a little bit of Florida action going on. There you go. Um, so this game, I'm interested in this one from a couple of angles. Um, to me, it all comes down to Andy Dalton. If Andy Dalton starts this game, then I will most likely be on the Saints. However, 
I'm a big Davis Mills guy. Um, I agree. Davis Mills, uh, he's a guy that we've seen some really good football out of. Um, he kind of he was a little bit of a surprise for some NFL fans. Obviously, the whole Deshaun Watson situation um, that was a that was a, a whole deal. But Davis Mills is an absolute dog, and I'll go out there and say it. I played Davis Mills in high school. He uh, was the starting quarterback at Great Atlanta Christian and is one of the most dominant high school football players I've ever seen in my life. Dude came out there and slung like four, 400 yards and five tutties on us. Um, he's an absolute stud, um, and he really came into what a lot of people thought was a, a dead Texans franchise, and you know, I don't know if, if they've got a lot of optimism or what we could see out of them this upcoming season, but I think they've got a guy in Davis Mills. Yeah, I, I agree. Davis Mills is is a beast. Um, you know, you can make the argument that he was – I'm not going to say it's an argument. He was the second-best rookie quarterback in football last year statistically. So, I mean, and that's that's a guy that came out, came out in the same class as Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields. So. Yep. You know, that I think right behind Mac Jones. And Mac Jones just plays in such a quarterback-friendly system for a guy like him, so it's kind of, like, unfair. But I think Davis Mills was the most impressive. Obviously, we don't see Davis Mills upside as much as a guy like Trevor, a guy like Zach, a guy like Justin, but he came out and balled out last year. He did his thing. He earned that starting job, and he looks to be – I mean, they went out – they have Kyle Allen now, but they didn't go out and get, a you know, one of those Andy Daltons, one of those um, Tyrod Taylors who we watched earlier. So – you know, I guess yeah. they're confident in rolling with him. I don't see Kyle Allen as a guy that you really replace him with. Davis Mills is a guy that started 11 games last year for the Texans, had racked up almost 2,700 yards in the air, 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions with a 67% completion percentage. Those are good numbers. Did he take uh, Tyrod's spot? Yeah, well, you know, Tyrod, obviously. He's the, he's, the, he's a career bridge quarterback. Career bridge quarterback, career bad luck quarterback. The the uh, I think it was the, the Chargers put a – pull cue through his lung in halftime of the game and then Justin Herbert came in there and took over and won the game for him and then he came to Houston and got into some injury trouble there I mean talk about bad luck man Tyrod Taylor the Chargers were like yeah he's our starter he's going to be our guy and then Justin Herbert comes in there and turns into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL Tyrod ends up on this Houston team gets hurt and Davis Mills comes out here and surprises everybody with a career rookie season yeah, it's funny because before the before the whole uh I want to say it was the Browns that he had went to first to be like uh to be Baker's guy. And before that, Tyrod Taylor was an above average NFL quarterback with Buffalo before they had made the move to try to get Josh Allen in that draft. But Tyrod Taylor was like a you could argue he was a top fifteen guy in the league with Buffalo for two or three years there. So, you know, we love Tyrod. He's he's you can tell he's such a great mentor. He has to be with how much success guys have came yeah. have had after, you know, taking taking his spot. I didn't even think about the Cleveland thing. That's a good point. He was the starter in Cleveland for, I think, a game and a half before mm-hmm. he got hurt or got pulled like 10 points down to the Jets in game two, and Baker came in, led him to the win, and never looked back. Yeah, yeah, he's the he's the career bridge guy. He put him in with a young quarterback, and he's going to work. Now, the only thing is, though, uh, I don't know if Daniel Jones is going to be a project he can fix. You know, we can hope we can root for Dandy Dimes, the guy with the fastest quarterback in football, but I, I don't know if it's going to be a likely thing to happen. This is going to be the year for Daniel Jones, man. They've said it. Uh, this is a make-or-break season for him. Now, I will say, if there is a si- a situation and a system for him to thrive in and develop in, this is it. You get Brian Dayball, the guy who gets all the credit for developing Josh Allen into who he is, and you get Tyrod Taylor, who seems to make starters out of other players. So if there's going to be a season for Daniel Jones to put it together, it's it's this one. I don't know whether he does. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's another game I'm looking at. Just just a little quick like preview for it. Um, the Jets tomorrow or today, if you're listening to the podcast, are a pick'em against the Eagles. And I will say the Eagles do have Gardner, but we look at Gardner again as one of those guys that he's probably not going to play too many drives. Like if you watched, if you watched today's game and you watched the Patriots, um, who was the fella? Ryan Hoyer, something like that, right? Yeah. Ryan, Ryan Hoyer. Hoyer. He came out, he was slinging the ball, looked good, and they pulled him. And then they put in my boy Zappy, Bailey Zappy. That was my guy. Um, so even even a guy like, and it's going to be one of those weird matchups because I'm assuming that Flacco is going to be the same way. I don't think that Flacco is going to go very far either. But then you get to the third string, you have Mike White on the Jets side. And, you know, the Jets, one thing about the Jets is that the Jets have all these rookies, all these top tier rookies. And you know how rookies work in the preseason. They're going to get some PT. So. You know, we, we we might see a little Sauce Gardner action. We might see a little bit of uh, Jermaine Johnson action going on. We'll even see a little bit of, uh, I'm sure we'll even see a little bit of um, Mr. Breesy Hall on the on the run of the ball a little bit. So the Jets are another team that could be an absolute tank in the preseason. Yeah, I like the Jets team in general, I, and I'm a big Zach Wilson guy. So I, I, look, I look at them tomorrow against the Eagles. That's, that's another one I have. Um... Honestly, I'm going to put money on the Falcons minus one against the Lions. I see a lot of people out there talking about how they feel like Desmond Ritter could just go out there and just sling the ball around the around the yard against the Lions. So I like our I like our luck with Ritter against Blau. You pumped to see uh, Drake London? Yeah, Drake London's going to be a ton of fun to watch. I'm also really really pumped for Falcons fans for uh, Arnold Ebiketti off the end. He's a he's a guy that I was really really high on coming out of the draft. So. We have we have a lot to look forward to tomorrow, and uh, I'm sure Felipe will make his way into the game at some point. I'm rooting for him. I became a Felipe Franks fan. I will say, just seeing his training camp videos, dude looks like an absolute stud at tight end. <laughs> he looks good, doesn't he? He does look good, and uh, you know, there's some defensive backs I've been seeing, like been playing with uh Kyle Pitts, actually keeping up with him. Like uh, I think like Tease Taylor or something like that is one guy that has been actually giving us some pretty pretty solid uh reps. Um. Obviously, Jalen Hawkins at the safety spot, the guy that we want to look out for. He's he's a guy that's probably going to be starting the, the this season all year long. The two safeties, uh, Jalen Hawkins and Richie Grant. I think uh, Richie Grant might have got hurt, though, so he might not be playing. And, you know, this is just a young team. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch them Falcons play ball tomorrow. Get a little yeah. Friday night, 6 p.m. Eastern time action. I mean, I- I'm just pumped to see football, man, especially when it's our team. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will be rooting for them hard. Uh, I don't preseason is one of those things that's kind of hard to bet on. Like, just like openly talk about, like, okay, I have this team because of this. So I don't really have anything else on the betting aspect of the preseason. I think we got our four listed. Um, and let's just say we were pretty hot on the four. You go, yeah. It was a good. It was a good day one for us. Uh, I'm hoping we can keep this momentum headed into uh, future episodes and future weeks. So look for us to dive more into preseason once we get a little sample size with the, the games that we see in week one and, you know, hopefully get some future looks for you guys. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think Is that is that it on the betting aspect of things? That's it for me. I think I think that rounds out. I think that rounds out what we had to talk about today on the podcast. Yeah. Well, it was it was a fun one. Uh, Kenny mentioned earlier when during the intro. Um, if you want to check us out on Twitter, I'm sure we'll be putting out a couple of our Couple of little spicy, spicy bets now that football season's coming around. Oh, Kenny, Kenny got the point down first try. See, whenever he's doing the introduction, I'm over here pointing all the way around trying to figure out which way it goes. 
Um, <laughs> um, check us out at Peach State Tailgate on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We also have the TikTok, uh, Peach State Tailgate. And, um, you know, thank you guys so much. This is episode six. We've made it six episodes so far. And I don't think we, I think we've had one episode below an hour and it was the first one. And we made like 56 minutes. We look forward to bringing you guys some more content with football season right around the corner and some preseason football underway. We're pumped. It's getting into the time of year where you've got multiple sports to watch and that's a breath of fresh air coming off of, you know, the dead season that was the early summer. So, man, go Braves, go Falcons, go Hawks, go Dogs, and um, that was a good episode. Thank you all for tuning in, and um, we look forward to, uh, to the next one. See you all.